This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 65 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Wayne McCoy from Arats. Uh, in Victoria, are you, Wayne? That's correct. Yes, in Port Melbourne, in fact. Now, uh, yours is a name I'm constantly seeing around LinkedIn. Can you tell us uh, <laughs> tell us uh, a little bit about your um, your career in in health and safety? Take take us back how you sort of first got into it. Okay, yeah, that was a, it's a bit of a story. So it goes back some some years ago. Uh, we've been involved in safety for you know, roughly eighteen years or thereabouts. So, and it all started a long time ago. Was I guess I can say the employer's name now because they don't exist anymore. So GMH Holdings in, in Adelaide, um, a witness, a workplace death, uh, and that's through a shortcut being taken. So to briefly explain how that occurred, where we had a contract that comes in that, um, that fills up the, or checks the oil levels and the, or the fluid levels and tops up as needed so the machines can continue to run. So this is in the Holden plastics operation. So, it's a, it's a chewing machine that um, was pushed out to to run uh, to um, into pro, uh, production. So um, the chewing machine is a very important machine. So if you can I'll quickly explain this, the uh, there's little beads of plastic that go into a hopper, and the hopper uh, goes feeds into a gun, as it were, um, and it heats up to tremendous temperatures, uh, very hot temperatures, about 600 degrees, and that melts the 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 bead, the plastic, and that fires in, that ejects into mold injection. So it ejects into the mold of the of the machine. And this is back in the days where holders were producing six or seven hundred cars a day, like back in the glory days, so to speak. And um, the tuning machine is a very important component of that. So once the the, the mold is filled up, the tuning machine throws in a, a ton of cold water to cool the product, so it can be hardened, and so it can be. Um, taken away from the mould and put onto a shuttle, comes to, to us operators who inspect, trim, stamp and pack away. Um, so it's very critical. So this churn machine uh, was forced back into production and didn't have the safety checks um, done to it and consequently one of the wires become loose and because the, the metal casing and, and obviously hit the metal casing that that metal case become live and the guy put his hand on it and that was it, that was the end of him. Oh so so you, you witnessed that? We witnessed that. There were six of us that witnessed that, and uh, one, of them, one of us was uh, smart enough and quick enough to turn the machine off um, at the power source so, to stop it from being live, of course, and so no one else is put in danger. And um, we tried to resuscitate him at, um, to no avail. So, and that's um, my mission in life since then has been that uh, I don't want to see anyone take a shortcut because I've seen the devastating result that it can mm. be that um, it only cut your life or that of someone else. And so, Wayne, were you actually in safety at that point or that was the juncture point for you to take that, more, of, that more was, of an interest? That was the yeah. junction, that was junction point. So it's really curious. So, um, and, and call it kismet or call it what you want, but um, about two weeks following that, there was a... Advertisement on the notice board in my area that in the my designated work group uh, DWG that um, uh, the health and safety representative position become vulnerable. So and a number of people would approach me to um, to put my hand up for it because uh, I'm a bit of a spokesperson at the time, and um, so I 
dead and run unopposed, and, and the rest is history pretty much. Yeah, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, so that's, that's, that lost me into the safety world. Right, and so what happened after um, General Motors? So after General Motors, I um, I did a lot of, I did my studies in a set four in RHS with um, at Panorama Tafe in Adelaide, and then um, then I started my professional journey. And one still were good enough to give me my um, my kickstart in my career um, and up and down. So they gave me four opportunities: um, either Brisbane Cooper's Plains, uh, so Cooper's Plains in Brisbane, um, uh, Townsville. Mackay or Darwin, and uh, well, I've been to. I was in the army many years ago, and I've been to Townsville and Tully mostly, and for bivouac, and that was no fun. And uh, Mackay's not too far. I, I was based in Brisbane, so I've never been to Darwin, so I chose Darwin. Oh, okay. So, and that, that's my uh, my professional career off to a, to a kick start. So yeah, um, and Holland's uh, Holland's were, were, were really good to me in a lot of many ways, uh, apart from that tragic. Incident that I spoke about, that um, I was lucky enough to uh, get nominated and, and subsequently win the HSR of the Year Award uh, with through Safeway SAS, and I think that really helped me in great stead um, wow. going forward in my career. From because once they saw that, and they so great start, uh, great graduate, so they gave me a go, and um, they they I guess um, Barry Duthie to drop name drop a name was one of my uh, uh, managers at the time there, and um, in, in his words, so uh, all I did, well, I thanked him for the opportunity uh, on LinkedIn, and, and uh, another couple of other people uh, who, who influential in my career. Um, but he's because he, he was the one that started um, to go into that that break, and he, all he said was, uh, "All I did was unlock the passion." So mm. uh, without him. Uh, I might not, might not be here talking to you now or talking to my Yeah, so, so one still then became the platform for you to, I guess, start moving forward in your health and safety career. Absolutely, what, yeah. What, what were you doing up in Darwin with them? So up in Darwin, so um, well, once they had it's a massive warehouse and uh, it's very hot and um, unpleasant conditions much, much of the time. Um, and so introducing the... Uh, uh, PPEs to for everyone to wear, wearing long long sleeves and long trousers um, is a pretty difficult challenge to to face and get difficult for the guys to accept. But uh, they were luckily did so, and um, uh, the area that war they were working with was still in those sharp edges and what have you. So it's a real no brainer for me. So, but uh, not so much for them as it took a bit of convincing. So they use the drop saws. They they do. Um, uh, underwater plasma cutting uh, for the large uh, steel plates, and uh, they they deliver to sites um, uh, to customers of all descriptions. Uh, you know, people doing renovation in the backyard or to to factories, you know, building from scratch, um, and anything in between. So, uh, with that come going out to specific sites, particularly um, the backyard customers. So to speak, to ensure that we could deliver safely, because we've got to consider the hired cranes that uh, we we use King's Transport to to that do that part of the business, yep. and um, and we had the hired cranes had to make sure that we could deliver them safely. It had someone to lay them down, and, and there was no overhead power lines, and there were some cases where we just couldn't deliver because of that those factors I just mentioned, and um, so they believe some customers here and there, but. 
on the whole, it's um, sort of about safety of um, for everyone. So mm. that was that's just part of it, and um, obviously the traffic management and um, uh, developing SOPs and then policies and other procedures in place, including the the five S. So lean manufacturing was a was a my uh, part of my answer. How do you approach that when you know, like, say, you've got the health and safety manager, and they've come up with all these SOPs, but then there's mm-hmm. kind of like a gap between, I guess, management and the actual factory floor, so to speak. How do you yeah. how do you bridge that gap? Like, how do you get the you know the the coalface workers to come along and and convince them that? It's a good idea. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question, um, and it's it's a common question in many interviews. Um, that I, I think it's it's where I come from. I'm not not someone that, that's um, sitting sitting down promising a seat on my backside, and uh, I've come from the shop for I, I know how how dirty how hard the work is, and uh, so I can talk the talk, and um, it's just having that that communication that. that communication is the key to everything. If you you need to be able to you know, understand. Listen to them first. So the active listening is is incredibly important. Um, if you just say, "Oh, here's SAP, off you go, go and do, and do that," well, it's no good. People aren't going to do you know, work to that. Um, and uh, generally speaking, people will accept a procedure or policy or instruction if they believe that they've had significant input into it. Um, and say. So, You've got to involve them at every step of the way, and and consultation is a massive part of that. And so, I just heavily consult with the people, and and consultation doesn't mean acceptance. So, you know, you listen to the argument, come back, and so it's a it's a genuine two way conversation. Yeah. And um, at the end of the day, that uh, we come to some sort of uh, compromise, and that uh, Satya is ever compromised in, in any way, shape, or form. But uh, at the end of the day, it's about safe production. And yeah. I think people end up seeing that at the end of the day. I'm sure there's lots of good ideas that come off, um, you know, the factory floor, I'd imagine, as well. Absolutely. Like, they're, they're doing the day-to-day work and it might be something that management just isn't seeing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, and, that's, and that's where the consultation is comes into its own, that communication piece comes into its own. So um, without that... A conversation piece uh, going ahead. Uh, you're never going to drag out those wonderful ideas and those. And sometimes you know, we get into the group, and one rule that I apply when we brainstorm that there's no such thing as a stupid idea, and there's no uh, nitpicking or downgrading or um, or uh, just a, a simple dismissal of someone's idea. Every idea has some value to it, regardless. Um, regardless of the, of the level of that um, or perception of, of everyone else. Um, and we let, I list everything up on, on the whiteboard and sometimes we, we need a couple of whiteboards or some butcher's papers to, to go around so that sometimes people's, you know, the creative um, uh, fluids are, are running yep. free, and, yep. Yep. Um, which is really, really great. And um, from there we, we can um, say, so, so one, one silly so much so-called silly um, suggestion um, that someone might might think less of um, that can spark someone else's brilliant idea. So, and without that so-called silly suggestion, that brilliant idea may never never have eventuated in the first place. So, hence that that rule. Yeah, I mean, it really does underline that whole consultation communication 
flesh things Absolutely. out and, and just talk about how it may benefit, I guess. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so one still, you were up in Darwin for how long? I was there for, for two and a half years before that role became redundant. So there's about a dozen of us uh, as coordinators at the time that um, we, we found ourselves out of a job because there was a massive restructuring at the top end and um, we still weren't, weren't doing so well financially. Um, so um, after that, we decided to, to return to Victoria, uh, where I grew up, and um, then I w- was lucky enough to get some work with Sabelco uh, Australia out at Lilydale, the eastern side of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And um, again, similar, well, kind, of, it's kind of similar story there. I was there for two and a half years um, as well. Uh, it's a great, it was a really good gig, um, great people, um, appalling culture to start with. Um, that was the biggest challenge, but um, great culture that I left behind when I did leave and I left voluntarily there because they started to hit the water table. So you know, it's only about a time before I get a tap on the shoulder saying, thanks for coming, but we're closing up shot. You better on your bike, mate. So um, I could see the writing on the wall, so I decided to, um, you know, pull up stumps and, uh, and move on from there after that time. And I, I'm also just wondering, like, does it take about two and a half years to get all these, I don't know, new procedures and policies in place and make it make a difference to the culture? That has been my experience. Yeah. Um, not necessarily, not necessarily yet, um, the benchmark for everything, though. Because um, mm. no, when you've got a embedded culture, it won't be good, bad or indifferent, that takes years to get to that whatever point that it's at. Mm. And it's going to take not the equal amount of years, but it's going to take a long time and con- a concerted effort and continuous effort um, to make changes. And yeah. you do, you've got to be true to yourself and, and true to your beliefs. And, and consistency and persistency for me is key to that as well. I've mentioned communication is key to everything, and, and it is and always will be. Um, but you need to be consistent and persistent with whatever you want to put in place um, in regards to, to change. And the change needs to be beneficial. Um, yeah. People need to see, you know, it's what's in it for me. They've got yeah. to see that, what's in it for me. Um, if there's nothing that, that they can take away from it, then you're going to be pushing for a bit of with that particular individual. Yeah. Yeah. So, so- but yes, it, it, it's, from, my, from my experience, you know, two years is a reasonable two and a, two to two three years is a reasonable sort of uh, time frame to to work within. So by within that time, you should have some sort of shift in the culture. Um, yeah. The level will, depending on the organisation, the people that level would be obviously uh, be different. And then, uh, what's the next gig after Lilydale? So after Lady Dale, no, you stretch my imagination. No, it was Transit Melbourne. Um, <laughs> there was, and that was another redundancy. So just to, to be a bit clear, I've, I've been unfortunate to suffer four redundancies, two during the COVID time. So, right. and uh, a number of contract work. So I've, I've, I've also moved around a fair bit. I've, I've struggled to be able to find a place I could actually call home hmm. and, and grow with it for a long period. Um, so but don't but don't, same, don't you think that's sort of the way workforces are in a way now? Like it, it sounds from an outsider yeah. looking in at you, one I'm thinking you you come in, you work your magic, you, yeah. you give what you need to give, and then it's ready to go and help somebody else. Just another yeah, uh, another way of another sort of angle to look at this as 
as opposed yeah. to, um, you know, staying forever somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I won't dispute that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would love to have a place where I could, and I think Marat might be it. Um, I'm really enjoying the time there at the moment. We've got really good support. Um, but, um, yeah, look, it, it's been frustrating that I've had to move around a, a fair bit because, you know, you restart again, restart again, restart mm. again. And, mm. um, and, but, and I, everyone I've gone, I've been missed to fix it, uh, and that's fine. But um, on the other side, the, the coin is that I've gained all this great experience from lots of different industry types. And yeah. uh, safety safety regards of where you go, you know, the, you, you see a hazard, you, you assess the associated risk with that hazard, you put the controls in place and you monitor it and make sure you're not creating a new new hazard and all that sort of stuff. But, um, and there's you know, policy procedures and instructions and processes you put in place you know, to help that along. But... Um, you need to understand the business, and uh, and that's I think that's really broadened my my horizons a fair bit, and, and give me a great um, base to work from where wherever I, I choose to go. So, mm. um, and, and to be honest, a lot of employees um, have, have seen that, and, and I think that's what um, partially what attracts me to them. Yeah, well, you've got a, this breadth of experience that. Um as you say, in different industries, solving different problems. But the, I guess the uh, the anecdote is the safety systems you're putting into place. Yeah, yeah, it is. And you know, I could talk culture all, all day long. It's one of my passions and um, I like to be presented with that sort of challenge because um, you know, everywhere I've gone, I've been able to make a positive impact on a, on a culture. Um, and where I am now, the culture is not bad um but there's always room for improvement of course yeah, yeah. um other previous places i've been to the the culture's been you know, you know fairly ordinary mm. and um when I, and i'm proud to say when i've left there it's it's been left them in a pretty good spot pretty good space yeah so, and it's all about educa education is a massive part of that you know, you, you can people talk about behavioral safety and and that's certainly a part of it absolutely um but behind there is all the the you know, policies, procedures, the training, you know, are, the, are, the, are the procedures risk-based? Have people been involved in, in the risk assessment? Have they have any input? Have there's consultation been going on? What sort of training have they done? Who's done the training? Well, how does that trainer qualify to you know, train these guys in, in such mm. a way that they understand? So there's so much in the background that needs to happen, and, and that's all the administration part of it. Um, and, that, that's, and that's all very important to have because um, that – Anything that's wrong with that is going to have a direct influence on what happens on the shop floor. Yeah, it seems like there's no one magic silver bullet. It's a sum of the whole, uh, sum of like little things that make a culture great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and this is a, as a song goes, from little things, big things grow. Yeah. Um, and it, and it can work the other way around. That sort of some something bad, you know, like a cancer, can grow. You know? So yeah. you've got a poor culture, you've got a toxic. Uh, culture for whether it's one person or a group of people, um, that can, that can have a really bad influence on the culture. So, yeah. uh, and again, uh, those people you don't need to whittle those people out. Um, you know, that's that's for HR to to worry about that sort of business. But um, for me, I, I still they're still a valuable piece of mm. the puzzle. Mm. Uh, they, they, I still they, they still need to be included. So, what's the uh, what's the the plan for Marats, what are you there to to do? 
plan for Marat is to continue to learn about the business. Um, again, we're headed around a bit more about it now. So um, it's a very, very busy environment. Um, I'm probably being as busy as I have anywhere else in my life. Um, that being said, when I was at Marvel Stadium, that was a very busy environment as well and, and a very enjoyable one. Um, but yeah, Marat, um, my plan for Marat is to take him on a, on a journey. So the previous um, safety manager, um, he stepped into the role where there was virtually nothing in, in place. So he, and he's, he set a roadmap. I can see what he's, he's tried to do. He set a roadmap and um, he's, to give him credit, um, he's done a fairly good job, to be honest. And, and it's pretty much using that. I'm using that as a, as a launcher pad. And it's pretty not a bad launch pad to, to launch from. Um, and so it's just continuing with that roadmap and exp- maybe uh, expanding, giving a few more lanes to, to that, that road so it can move along a bit more freely. And, and by saying that, I mean, you know, get the more guys involved, more consultation involved, um, and change up the, you know, once, once get through the ISO accreditation uh, period by the end, year's end, uh, then I'll be in a better position to be able to, you know, Put my um, stamp my my mark on it, so to speak. And but but in between times, I'll still be doing my own little bits and pieces to you know yeah. get people involved and, and keep the culture moving along nice and smoothly, and and having that that recognition piece. That's that's really important to me. Uh, and how many staff do they have there? Well, good question. So, um, including casual staff, because casual would make up a, a fair whack of it. So there's about 70 people at the moment. Um, so it's probably about, um, I'm guessing, 15 or 20 full-time compared to uh, the rest being you know, 30 or 40, 50 people casuals. Hmm. Um, but they're all, doesn't matter who, who they are, they're also part of the Marat family. So you, you come on board that Marat, um, you're not going to be treated differently because you're a casual. You're 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 a very part and point of the the, the cognitive in the whole process. So um, I look at it this way. So the old anagram watch has you know, two or three, you know, three or four, I'm not a mechanic by any stretch of imagination, so I might have got that wrong. But there's several cogs in, in a in a, um, in a analog watch to make it check around. Mm. Any of one of those cogs don't work, the whole thing doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it sounds like that's a, like a great size company where you can probably make a bigger impact Oh, definitely. As, as opposed to like some of you know, one still I'd imagine what be thousands of thousands well, of once, people. Well, once up and down, it was a pretty large shed, but there was probably stretching my imagination now. But I think there was about um, twenty people there. Um, but we had a, a lot of um, a few casuals and a lot of contractors come in and out. So, you know, they, they come in, come and go. Yeah, uh, it's very transient, very transient place, um, Darwin. So there's only a, probably maybe a dozen people that were long stays, and the rest were you know, flying or coming. Yeah, you know, stick around for a little bit, and uh, no, but can't stand the can't stand the weather, can't stand the place, and out, out again. <laughs> so yeah. it's um it's not for everyone. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Well, thank you so much, Wayne, for um sharing your story with us. Um, no worries. If people want to connect with you, uh, LinkedIn is that the would that be the? That's that's the place to, to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to to connect with pretty much anyone, as um, long as I don't uh, um, throw so many um, 
we quote um, souls at me. <laughs> yeah, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah happy, happy to connect. All right, Wayne. Thanks so much. No worries, Brendan. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.